and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Santosh Kaur, I am so excited to be interviewing you for She's the Boss Chats. Thank you so much for agreeing to do it. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to having me uh, to <laughs> share my business. So thank you. <laughs> oh my goodness, aren't we just all patting each other's backs? Okay, so let's start off by telling everybody what it is that you do and why you're doing it. Nice small question. Sure. <laughs> yes, let's go for it. Uh, well, my name is Santosh and I'm the founder of Smart Heal. So mm-hmm. at the moment when we are talking of AI and technology, how wound care is done, imagine now, you having a wound. No, that's all right. I was just going to go wound care just for anybody that's listening. We're talking about, you know, injuries to your body, that kind of wound. Yes. But sorry, yes. go on, jump chronic. in. <laughs> yeah, chronic wounds. So if any of you had a spider bite and it turned into ulcer or, you know, the person, some elderly people or a lot of diabetics. So, for example, to give you an idea, at any given time, half a million Australians suffer from chronic wounds. So if you wow. have a wound and, yes, we had to measure it. As a nurse, I would have a paper ruler and to measure the depth, we still put the dipstick in so it's done very manually what to put on those wounds once we've done prodding and done treating it whether it's soaking with betadine to give you a simple example or whatever else we do it remains anecdotal on what to put on so wounds australia yeah which is a peak body for wounds calls it hidden epidemic and despite that we only have a handful of clinicians who are trained to be wound consultants so imagine having a platform how i started smart heal was like you know, I've worked in healthcare. Um, you were, you were, a, were you a nurse, doctor? What What were you doing in healthcare? I'm registered still in India as a doctor and I started off, wow. I was new I wanted to be in healthcare, started off having my own practice, came to Australia, worked in theatre as a nurse, worked in aged care and went to aged care quality and safety commission, which is a regulator for aged care. And that's where we'll investigate complaints. And I had the opportunity to work for Commonwealth. So it was like, doesn't matter where the complaints come from, they all had similar patterns. The gaps were really basic when it came to wound care, which was always one of the top trends and that's how smart heal was born it was just trying to find imagine having a platform instead of doing it all manually where you can have that assistance if you're a clinician where you know you're not doing the guesswork is taken out and you're able to you know leverage the specialist and evidence-based knowledge to make that decisions and if you are someone suffering from a wound in home care or in in your comfort of your own home you have that platform which can connect to you with those clinicians and professionals and then you're able to get their advice from there. Wow. I just have to say that I would say that I'm not alone in this and and I'm sure that the listeners will tell us one way or the other, but um, I didn't even know wound care was such a big thing. I guess you'd think about surgeons 
someone's slicing people open and stitching them up, you don't really think about the people who, and I mean, you know, I've got boys, so I've had, uh, we've had all sorts of wounds and injuries over time, but I've never really thought that people would need to measure how long it was, how deep it is, and then have to decide based on that, how they're going to treat it. It's just like, it's a whole, and when you say that there's a peak body for wound care, I kind of go, wow, I didn't even know that was a thing. So um, it's, yeah. yeah, so it's like a whole new world that I wouldn't have known about. And so what does Smart Heal do? What does it actually do to help people? Yeah, sure. How does it work? Yeah, going back to your, you know, how big the problem is. Like even the whole of the Medicare spend is 100 something, right? $150 million, billion something. (laughs) And we spend $20 billion just on wound care. So there is a big chunk. And the reason it's so underrated, it's a speciality in its own right, like I said, but there's not much light being shown onto it. And what Smart Heal does is it's a long journey when you're leveraging AI. It's like, you know, getting on the skates. How do you learn skating? You get yourself on uh, Yeah, and then slow, slow down a bit. What do you mean leveraging AI? So you've got AI yeah. as part of this of Smart Heal. Yeah. Oh, so, so okay. To. Sorry. <laughs> no, t- totally fine. So what AI is such a term right now being thrown about everywhere. So it's like artificial intelligence. So when you and I were kids, like how did we develop our intelligence, right? How did we learn to skate or bicycle or anything? The first time you get on skates, it's wobbly. You're like, oh my God, these are very wobbly wheels. And the second time <laughs> you're like, oh, okay, well I can balance. And the third time you go bend my knees and I'm a bit better. So AI is in smart heal there's two components there's computer vision where the computer is looking at something and machine learning machine is an algorithm a code which is learning in the background right okay so for for a very normal person or to explaining it to a teenager for example which will probably be already be educated um, around ai (laughs) but it's like computer we give the model so we give the computer a set of wound photos yeah um, and then we say well look this is infectious or this is a bit dry this tissue is not viable anymore it's necrotic it's dying so you keep giving it and the computer or the machine or the algorithm keeps learning it so we label the photos so images are labeled and then fed into the model and then the model is able to look at it look at it and goes oh it looks like this as it's infected uh, okay. and that's how um so that's like a very basic no kind but that's what we need basic and we so basically basic. Uh, basically using the same word but so yeah. as the as the app because it's an app for your phone i think isn't it so as the app yes. sees more and more images of different kinds of wounds it stores them and then it can start to cross reference against them when it sees a new image or you know you you put your phone over a new uh, a new wound and it'll go oh it looks like part of this and part of that and this is how you treat it right absolutely you've nailed it the only thing is we don't store photos for data privacy purposes it'll be stored in the cloud and you go through the whole process you would go with any other electronic system where you would be handling any sort of patient data but other than that yes so we are an app which we are only clinician facing at this stage which means only the end user which is nurses doctors podiatrists at this stage are using it right eventually we would want to target people in homes as well as you can understand there's a huge 
market opportunity and use yeah. case there for them. Um, but yeah, it's a clinician facing app. We will have a conversation. We'll give you a demo and then we'll send you a private link to download before that you'll sign heaps of, not heaps of, a couple of important documents yeah, yeah. Uh, around data security and license agreement, etc. So it's a private link clinician facing app. You can download it in your app and then you use it on the patient bedside. Uh, you amazing. can also communicate with clinicians. Yeah, yeah. So like what do you mean you can communicate with clinicians? So if I was um, a nurse and I'm, say, in a remote area and somebody comes in and has a massive, I don't know, wound down their leg and I'm not sure what to do with it, through the app I can go to a doctor or find somebody to say, should I be stitching this, should it be super glued? Or I mean, I don't know all the different options, but um, is that kind of how it works? I like how you play so humble and you give a perfect example and you're like, I don't know how it works. <laughs> no, you are right. Uh, at this stage, it's not um, with the patients, but eventually that will be the goal that a patient who's able to download Smart Heal just from the app store, like any other app, and then they take a picture of the wound and they can decide, as you know, do they need to escalate in and who they need to go. And right. then the GP has access to Smart Heal and the GP is able to guide you remotely from there but at this stage how we're using it for to give you a real life example one yeah. of the wound consultants we're working in regional victoria they have one nurse they cover four thousand square meter of patient area wow. so what they're thinking at the moment is instead of sh- her doing and it's a, it's a female instead of her going to you know 10 patients she can now send the other nurse and that nurse can communicate with this expert. So the general nurse can now communicate with the expert and ah. that's where she can have access to her expert advice rather than her being at 10 places or the patient who's trained uh, or the who has a carer who's trained to do the dressing. And we know we're not changing much from the last dressing. And there are patients who are changing dressings every day. So, yeah. you know, then the person doesn't need to go there. So they, Mrs. Smith's mom can do it and send the photos to the clinician or the nurse or the wound consultant. Wow. And that's how we're currently uh, using it. Yeah. But there is definitely a case and we would, um, and down the track, we would want to go to the customers or have a B2C model. Yeah. Fantastic. Wow. God, I love modern technology and what it does. But you've opened up a whole world. I didn't even know that, yeah, as I said, wound care was a thing. So, Santosh, let's go right the way back. I want to find out about your life and how you've got to where you are now. So, let's start with where did you grow up and what size family did you have? Mm, that's interesting. <laughs> uh, we're four siblings and I've grown up in northern part of India, Punjab, Amritsar, yeah. a town known for Golden Temple. And well, what's it called? Sorry, Amritsar, was it? Amritsar. Oh, yeah, great. Yes, and uh, it's called the City of Golden Temple. Uh, it's one of the eight, uh, seven wonders. And, oh, uh, is it? Yes, I didn't know I think that. It's still listed, yeah. Definitely, you know, there was yeah. So it was listed among seven wonders. There was a debate about whether seven it's wonders of India list- of the world of the world. Yeah. Wow, I didn't yeah. have. I, there you I go. Know. God, I'm learning so much already. Okay, oh, so you grew up in Amritsar. Still listed, but yeah. One yes. of four. And what and, did your uh, mum and dad do? Yeah, so we're four siblings. My mum has been a homemaker. She's an educated lady. She started doing graduation, which is very, very uncommon for her generation in India, in those, you know, the kind of region. 
And uh, yeah, she's, she was very advanced. My father's always been a businessman. So my mom's been highly academic family. So it, it's important that I mention. So when I say my mom, so my, all my maternal family is doctors, nurses, midwives. So oh, my wow. grandfather from that side was a head of doctor. So my mom had three brothers and two of them were doctors and one was, you know, PCS, so which we had to do a lot of study. Um, so they were all academics, but my father was all farmers, importers. They come from a business background. My father's um, had an electronic shop, did financing and investing, and uh, had a real estate business, still owns a real estate and financing company. Yeah, that's what my mom and dad did. Wow. So it's always interesting because I think where's the role model? And it sounds like Mm. your mom with all that medical background has definitely Mm. been an influence on you. So did you like school? I'm guessing you must have liked school and done pretty well at it in order to go on to be a doctor. (laughs) But tell me a little bit about what school was like for you. Yeah, room one is very interesting because I think my mom definitely had an influence when it came to academics. And my father, it was very interesting how he always involved us in all the decision making. It always felt like we were participating. So when he would go and do a deal and, you know, he'll bring home the money, it's not huge when I say deal, like whatever little it was. I mean, it felt like we were doing something. I remember when he was changing over to what TVs to sell and he came home and was like, oh, you tell me which one should we sell? Should we sell Tesla? And LG, and I'm like, oh yeah, I decided the business, you know. So it was very interesting <laughs> yeah. learning early on those decision making. And in terms of school, like in India, everybody's very academic, as you know, it's a yes. very key aspect. And so obviously I had their influence, but I also had that fortunate, um, I guess, environment around me where we were studying for med school together and it was my cousins and everybody was studying for right. med school given the environment I came from from my maternal side. Um, but yeah, I, did I like school? I absolutely loved it. Uh, not necessarily just for the... Um, academics, but also the friendships I had and, you know, the sports I did, but I loved school and growing up after high school, it was all about um, becoming a doctor, right? So it it was all I did. I feel like in my teenagers, just study. Study. So whether it was doing year 11, year 12, and then it was private lessons and a lot of tuitions. And then I had a gap year and I did um, information technology. So IT degree. And then I went back to study. Wait, wait, wait. You can't finish. So you finished school, took a gap year, which for most Australians and, you know, Western countries means having a holiday for a year, really, and traveling. You might do a little bit of work, but it's not a whole degree. What do you mean that you went in your gap year and you didn't another degree? Yeah, that's a very interesting story. So when I did year 12, you take a med school exam, which mm-hmm. we go to different states to take exams. Um, so you increase your chances, which state you get accepted Oh, so you do into. multiple different state exams. You can definitely. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's not like, you know, <clears throat> sorry, it's not like there's one uh, exam uh, in Australia as if it's central. So, yeah, I did different various state exams. And while I was waiting for the results in different states, I had the opportunity and also even uh, applied to study in Russia, which I did got accepted. And, wow. Uh, and then... Yeah, and I, it's like I applied everywhere. <laughs> no, no, you're like a crazy, um, uh, amazingly high achieving woman. <laughs> I don't know high achieving, but definitely many. Um, but yeah, that's that's what I did, Jules. And then I had the gap year, but I did the IT. It was just a new budding thing, and I was really fascinated. 
but I also, I think I've, I've had the always the fortunate of becoming, uh, building some very good relationships and friendships wherever I studied. So that aspect was always there, having loads of fun while I studied. Oh, so it wasn't good. necessarily just for studying, but there's loads of friendships and, you know, loads of fun after that. I came to Australia and then studied to be a nurse again. No, um, no hang so, on yeah. again. We need you to slow down. So you, no, so you did your medical. Um, mm. you you did your degree in in India. So you didn't yeah. practice there. Did you just come straight here after that? No, I definitely practiced. So okay. that's where I decided. Uh, yeah, good, good on you for taking me back. Um, <laughs> so I studied. So I did the gap year yeah. after year twelve, and I studied that diploma for the IT, and right. then I did my six and a half years degree in med yeah, school it's for full five on. and a half year. It is full on five and a half years. You're studying and another year you're practicing. So in the hospital, you're doing that internship. And at the same time, then after that, you can start your practice. So I had my own practice, but, and then I also moved for a bit and start, uh, managed an OPD in one of the major hospitals. What's an OPD? What's an OPD? It's uh, an outpatient department. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. In in New Delhi, the hospital's called N- LNJP, so it's one of the major public hospitals. And, and for anybody um, that doesn't know, New Delhi is very modern uh, compared to other city. big parts of India. So, so, yeah. um, so you went from the Punjab to Delhi or your family's mm-hmm. area to Delhi to do this. Did you do it all on your own? Were you a single woman at that stage? Well, when I went to study, I actually studied in hostel. I studied in a different city um, as opposed to my parents. So it will be like going from here to Queensland. Yeah, it's quite a big thing for an Indian girl particularly to do that. Yeah, but I I don't think, you know what, Jules, the other thing I I really feel is that my parents didn't stop me from doing anything. And now that I've grown up, my father would... (laughs) Yeah, my father turned around like, you know, there's people who would have come to him and say, well, you know, she's going to get married. Why are you spending so much on her her studies? And he'll be just like you know, go off (laughs) using any other language. But, um, but I never felt like I was a girl, uh, at home. And when it came to support or things I needed, I didn't feel like I was competing against my brother or anything. Yeah. That's fantastic. I love the society. Yeah. Yeah, When you went out in the society, you realized, Oh wow. How fortunate. How unusual it is. That's the truth. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's fantastic. That's okay. So, so you have moved to Delhi, you're working, you've started your own practice. What led you to even think about coming to Australia? Yeah, absolutely. So look, I worked in Delhi. Um, yeah. It wasn't something I really loved the environment. Um, so I didn't last very long. I came back to Punjab. I had my own practice. And while I had my private practice, I ran another healthcare center. Mm-hmm. And that's where we would uh, trial new treatments. And I was uh, running it, like literally running it as in, you know, as a head. And we would have a lot I of I can't believe it. You're a doctor. You're running all of this. I, can, I know you're going to get to the stage of coming to Australia and having to be a nurse. But, I mean, I listen to all of this and it just breaks my heart that we don't just embrace you and go, right, great, we need another doctor. Anyway, yeah. we'll get to that stage, yeah. I'm sure. So. Yeah. Yeah, I've had my own journey with that and own uh, kind of reasoning, and that's I think it's it's all perfectly fine with me. But look, yeah, so that's where I um, managed the uh, managed another healthcare yeah. center, and then also had my own practice, and it was very eye opening with the practice as well. You know, doing it, and the pra- the degree I've done is also has an Ayurvedic part to it, so that's a oh, lot okay. of natural medicine around it, holistic medicine as well, and I was 
always fascinated with the U- UK. I had a lot of cousins in UK and um, I was like wanting to go to NHS and work in NHS. And in that exploration, I came across Vic Uni here in Australia. And that's how I just made up my mind. I wanted to go overseas uh, for better opportunities and work in an overseas healthcare system. And it was definitely NHS UK was the goal. And uh, that's yeah, really I started interesting, exploring Australia. Yeah, uh, one of my cousins had come to Australia and they're like, oh, they've gone to Melbourne. And that's how I ended up in Melbourne. That is so amazing because having lived in England for a long time, the NHS is kind of broken. I mean, not that Medicare is not perfect either, but uh, there's a lot of people. I mean, I know there's a massive Indian community, so I don't know whether that uh, was part of the influence, but I would, yeah, it's interesting that you wanted to go to the UK and now, and obviously you've come to Australia, but you're not eager to go back to the UK now. Is Australia home a bit for you now? Absolutely home. Oh, <laughs> no, great. No. I've traveled to UK for, for a while. I've traveled there for, I think, six weeks. And I've been, yeah, I've done as a tourist gone to England, Scotland, you know. Um, but no, but I've traveled, qu- to, traveled to England and definitely not thinking of going back to UK. No, it's quite, it's <laughs> very, di- very different lifestyle. That's for sure. You have yeah, a better lifestyle here. Yeah, okay. So better. you've, so you applied to come to Australia. And you came here. Tell me what that was like. What's it like when you're, you know, a whole new country? You obviously had a few mm. friends, but not many, mm. or family. What, what, um, what was it like for you? How, what did you do to come here? Just apply yeah. because we needed healthcare. Sorry, I'm jumping in. Very you go. interesting. Yeah, <laughs> no, very interesting. Look, I applied for um, something different, and I studied. Um, so it was like coming to my cousin's house and I did not have any friends. I just had one right, close friend. Okay. Lucky. Wow. I have a high school friend and I'm still friends with and Grace has it. She happens to be living in Melbourne as well, coincidentally. Oh, thank goodness. And uh, Yeah. And so, yeah, my cousins came to pick me up from the airport and I lived there for a week, I think two weeks max. And within within a week, I remember having conversations with my friend and trying to find a place and uh, you know, living with he, uh, living with my cousins for a couple of weeks, and then starting to find the job. And I think within a week, I was like, you know, t- yeah, ha- having getting my stuff together, really, in a, in a simple way. Well, was was but it a big sh- a shock? I can imagine Australia is quite different to India. Um, and what time yeah. of year did you arrive? I mean, was it cold as well? Yeah, I was gonna. Yeah, so look, I think the other thing is, I came when it was a Black Saturday event happened. Oh my so god! It was a very Bush different fires. vibe. I came in two thousand and nine. Yeah. And this was, I mean, I, I don't understand what it meant on the ground level. And I'll see all these black trees and, you know, it was, was very interesting. And now that, you know, I've lived here, it feels forever. And I've met people who've lived in the areas and rebuilt their lives and who were so closely affected by those fires. But it was a different vibe. We've just come out of the recession out of 2008 and not even come out. It was just still, you know, very much there was a lagging effect. And then there was Black Saturdays in Australia. So that's very competitive, different, tight economic conditions when I came. Yeah. And, uh, but it was a struggle on its own. It was an amazing journey, but it, this isn't, these are the experiences that shape you. Absolutely. And I think that's where, you know, I, I always say I'm not necessarily fully resilient, but I'm very optimistic. And I think these, these do, these things do, you learn from the failures and you're not necessarily failures, even the challenges. So, yeah, I, I think if anything, I take a lot of pride in how difficult it was. And I, in fact, had a job of a waitress and, you know, I remember 
remember like, you know, oh, sitting wow. in the, sitting on managing a healthcare and then you're going, you know, you're doing interviews with the media, etc. And then you come and then you're like, okay, you'll get $40 from 8am to 8pm to scrub the toilets, you know, and uh, you're cleaning the window of a restaurant from the outside, oh, climbing stop. on a stool. Were you, I mean, were you very homesick or you just kind of got on with it and you thought this is just the beginning? I've got more. I definitely knew it was going to be challenging. It wasn't going to be easy, especially the goals I had and the things I wanted to do. So I was prepared for it. Right. Uh, I was not. In, to say I wasn't homesick uh, would not be a justice. I was really homesick. I yeah, told my mom, and I'm not a girl who cooks. I'm not a girl <laughs> who can do all of that. So it was very challenging. And uh, I say my mom spoiled me there. But, yeah, it was very challenging, Jules. And it was, I was oh, very homesick. But, you know, you get on with it. And, I, like I said, I was lucky that I had a friend here and she lived. I moved closer to her and we'll catch up and we'll do a little get-together. So I think the one thing I always did is somehow find time to have fun and, uh, you know, make – the most of it and make the best of it and, you know, look at the oh, brighter well side of things. Yeah. So there's always things I can look back and say, wow, we did that and we used to have so much fun. And yeah. So, yeah. Wow. You're very inspirational, Santosh. So, um, okay. So you've arrived in Australia and you're working as a waitress, which must have been a shock to the system, whatever you say. Um, so, uh, how, how has everything developed from there? Tell me how your career developed until we get to Smart Heal. Yeah, so I used to study in Victoria University to give the locals a context, and I would live in Dandenong. So Victoria University's campus was in St. Albans, yeah. and I would travel by train. That's a long way. I, it is a long way. And then I also had a cleaning job in factory in Frankston. So in the oh morning, my God. I'll... So for anyone, well, let's just, sorry, I'm just going to jump in to say for anybody who's listening, we're talking about living in one place where she's um, 30 Ks down south, I would say really Frankston to, to go with, with, which sounds like you're catching public transport as well, which is a fiddly one, Dandenong to Frankston and then to St Albans, which is the other side of the city. Like that's, that's a a huge amount geographically that you need to cover to do all of that. You're amazing. So um, that must've worn you down a little bit after a while. (laughs) It does. It does. Definitely. It has its own uh, kind of effects, but that's where I think unless you're faced with challenges, you kind of then you're forced to think of other ways. And then I knew that, you know, this waitress job or cleaning job wasn't going to cut it. And, you know, I had to move closer and I had to find, you know, work the logistics out a bit better or buy a car, for example. So I did do that. I bought bought a car and then I also took a job of teaching English because I thought, well, my English is good. That's something I can leverage. Yes. Also helping, you know, I always loved teaching and helping others. That's something that feeds my soul. And uh, yeah, so that was good. And uh, then I also started working as a staff, uh, a PCA in the second year. So yeah. Wow. Well, firstly, your kindness and your wanting to help others is definitely. But one thing I've learned about Sikhs and people from the Punjab is how kind they are. So I'm sure you had a good background that way. But um, how did how did you feel when you couldn't be a doctor? I don't understand why they didn't just let you in to start practicing. Santosh? I okay. can't hear you very well, Jules. Okay. Your video has gone really hazy, but also your okay, audio, hang on. I, I can't really no, hear okay. you properly. Wait, that's all right. I'm just marked it, so that's fine. Hang on. I'm going to do... 
low data mode for all. Now, does that has that made That's it a little better. bit better? And I'm going to turn my camera off as well. Can you hear me? That has made it better. Okay, great. So I'll ask the question again. Yes, I can hear you. Uh, really okay, better. so I'm just going to mark that clip. So Santosh, mm-hmm. um, why? I guess the bit that I can't really understand, and you just need to explain to me, is why when you're a doctor. Sorry, with- I lost you again, Jules. Oh, this is really not great at all, is it? Uh, okay, I'm going to try one more time. That's better now. Okay, Santosh, so why okay. um, when you came here, weren't you able to be a doctor straight away with all that experience you've had? Sure, I could become a doctor. It's not that it was not an option. It was just the studying for a long time. I did get credit. Even for nursing, I got a lot of credit. Right. Because when you come as an international student, um, you the policies are you can get credits towards the subjects you will study, but not necessarily about the time. So, for example, even with my nursing, uh, instead of everybody else studying four subjects, I only studied two subjects. But that did not mean my degree would be cut down from three years to two years. Technically, that could have been. And the same would be with the doctor. Because a part of my degree had an Ayurvedic component to it, that means I had to study a long time. So it's not that I didn't have the option. I want to put the message out there that there was an opportunity. But the only thing is I had to study another six years and then you do right. a lot of tests, etc. And that's a decision I had to make. Was I willing to do that? I definitely wasn't willing to do that that. So I chose that, look, my, what are the higher values? And that's how I ended up making the decision. Yeah. Which is very fair. So, um, so you got into nursing. Was that, was that your, what did you do after you felt, felt that you needed to have a change from um, waitressing (laughs) and some of the other things you were doing and the cleaning? How did you get it back into the medical profession? (laughs) Yeah, this is something I, like I said, teaching, helping others, like that's something close to my heart and that's what will make me feel happy and feeds my soul. And so it was like trying to find out what else can I leverage? What are my skills and how can I still be happy doing and then progressing on my career path? So the one outlet was um, my English was pretty all right. So I decided that I could teach English. So that's one thing I did. I taught IELTS, which is an English international English language testing. A lot of the international students have to take that. Yeah. Um, And I had a very good score in that. So that made me eligible to teach that. And the second thing as a, you know, obviously as a student, you can only do it for certain hours. And the second thing I was able to do was to, uh, I did a course in a personal care assistance or the aged care worker course. You can take a six weeks diploma and do some training for four, four weeks. And so obviously I did that. And that made me eligible to work as a personal care worker and also gave me the early exposure to aged care while I was doing nursing. Um, And yeah, that's where I kept doing uh, until I became a nurse and then I started doing nursing. Okay. So what was the light bulb moment, which is what I like to call it, but what was the thing that Mm. finally made you decide to start Smart Heal? What happened that, um, that sort of, I don't know, made you just go, I've got to do something about this. Yeah. 
you know what, Jill, you're the first person that I'm doing all this journey, the personal journey with. Usually we talk a lot about Smart Heal, but when you sit and reflect in that sense, these are the things that decision, you know, shape a lot of your decisions. Yeah. And so I'm a person, I've always led the life by heart. Uh, and um, it sounds very cliche, the service and ethos. But I think that's what the light bulb moment was, that if I am dying tomorrow, what would I be want to die doing? And what is one thing that I want to leave behind? And and that's wow. that's simple as that it sounds. That's what it is. Like, you know, what is one thing that, you know, if I want to die doing? And, um, you know, and that was to have a big impact and make a change for people's, you know, people's lives and leave the world a better place, as we all say it. But it was within my career learning and, you know, working at the commission and will investigate the same complaints, like I said, and finding the gaps in wound care and especially wound care. I've always been very passionate passionate about wounds and I've seen my grandmother had a huge wound um, after dementia. Right. And so I've always been passionate about wounds and that that was about, you know, finding the gaps and feeling frustration and learning that, you know, there there is a change that can be done and if no one else is doing it, then I can be that change. Oh, well, you are so inspiring, I have to say. So along the way, have you had any women that stand out to you that have really helped you in your career? Absolutely. From the get-go, I mean, very early on, I would say my mother has been very, very inspirational and by my side. Um, then I've had friends, uh, you know, like I say, uh, my high school friend has been there uh, and I can still talk to her. During my nursing here, I had a buddy nurse. I still remember when we would do hospital in the home, which is where you will go into people's homes and nurses. She was so supportive. Um, during my nursing, I had my manager who took the early trust on when, you know, when you're a nurse and if you want to go into a clinical role, you need to have certain years of experience. And I felt ready way before, you know, I needed to do my five years. I was ready within two years. I was like, I know everything. <laughs> I want to do it. And she was the one who took the leap of faith. And she was like, you're so ready. And she gave me my first care manager role. And Linda is her lame, Linda Van Egmond. And she's my, and now we're friends. She was my senior manager at oh, the time fantastic. and we worked in other senior positions together. And now in startup, I, I can say, you know, Rita Arigo, one of uh, my advisors, has been very supportive. Dr. Hansra has been very supportive. And, you know, be able to work with people you look up to, like Dr. Fiona Wood. And early on, when we were just starting on, um, you know, Priyanka, for example, from Anyone Can, you know, we won the pitch competition. And that was one of the key moments that kind of of made something smart healing to something. Yeah. And so, you know, Sarah from SPE, Irene from Lift Women. So there's lots of list goes on really. Oh, and yourself fantastic. choose, like having those important conversations the other day, like having that such candid conversation, like those really do impact, right? So oh, I'm yeah, so there's a lot of them I can list up. Well, that is great. Mm. Now, tell me, um, I've just realized as you were doing that, as you were talking about that, that I haven't really asked you about creating Smart Heal, the journey that you had. So you've, you obviously, you've decided you wanted to do a legacy. You had identified that it would be in the wound mm. area. But how do you, who's a doctor and nurse, I guess, uh, suddenly get into technology? How, what, what was the actual process and did you need to raise money for it? 
Yeah, absolutely. I did not think that I would be doing Smart Hill, to be honest, when I told, when I thought of my career path. And um, so how it started is, you know, I was in, sitting down investigating a complaint, looking at the same things. And then it was an idea that was getting through my head that we use technology for everything. And here we are still doing uh, wound care very manually. And then one day I was at the gym and uh, news of Bert Newton come, in, come on and he'd lost his leg and I was like oh my god you know oh, yet that's again, right. yeah. he's such a celebrity and he would have had access to so many resources and yet here we are and obviously without going into um, anything else so it was really um so how we started was you know is it possible so then I wrote, wrote it down is it possible I started interviewing companies Jules and to find out is it possible in terms of leveraging AI and how much is it possible what does it look like what technology looks like what needs to be going behind the back end ah. so I was interviewing lots of companies some overseas wasting a lot of time with overseas companies as well <laughs> who said they could do it and then you know I'll end up at no show or you would not have anything right. um, and then building you know going learning the startup process very quickly um, as well. So I ended up doing an accelerator program where we had to really take a hard look at ourselves. Like the problem am I trying to solve? Is it the right problem? Is Can it be a financial viable business? And what's the pathway look like if I'm going to have a product in healthcare space, which is highly regulated and what the regulatory space looks like, how many years you know it looks like to get out in the market, et cetera. So I was doing all of the legwork, which yeah. is very crucial and key. And then coming up with, you know, the solution looks like and what's the minimum viable product that we need to have. And then we did a prototype last year in April. Right. And then we took it to my contacts in HK and more wound consultants and tested the UX. And obviously, you know, we think we're too smart and then the users tell you otherwise. And that's really good. <laughs> yes. And uh, now we've put a product out in the market. And again, it's a very basic product. And as they say in startup space, if you... You're not embarrassed by your MVP. You've launched too late. And you know, I, <laughs> I say I'm very embarrassed. You think, oh, what were we thinking? But yeah, that's where we're at. So we've launched a product and, um, you know, it's being tested. It's in beta testing and there's a lot of changes we're going to have to make before we, uh, you know, release it to um, a bigger, bigger customer base. So who's we, Santosh? You said we will be releasing. Have you found a co-founder that's a technology person or are you... Or are they just people that you're paying to work with you? Yeah, it's interesting I say we, isn't it? Because I feel like it, all of this that I've told you, I have definitely not done it alone and I've yeah. had a plethora of people around me. So one key thing, and when I say we, I really feel proud is my advisory board. So we've had, uh -huh. uh, we have Rita, like I said, on AI, we have Dr. Wood on, uh, you know, clinical side, we have oh, wow. Patel who's on the board of Wounds Australia, which is a peak body. And then we have Dr. Alexander Gosling, we have Sue Aberian Research. So we've built quite a good advisory board. You have. And how we do is we go back and we have conversation. Yeah. And we discuss those strategic and Dr. Hansra. 
Um, and so we do have a, t- uh, yeah, I do have a team <laughs> and, uh, so the, the team is overseas, uh, part of it. And then we also have the technical lead who's here. Right. I am looking for a co-founder and also in conversations with a new team, um, a, a new tech team as well, which is highly experienced and done a lot of work in the digital health. So right. hopefully, um, we sign some papers soon, but, um, yeah, that's where we are at. And in terms of raising capital, we've just gotten some uh, interest, kind of committed interest. And um, so we're hoping to take that and we're meeting some investors this afternoon as well. So hoping to oh, have everything soon. crossed but for we've you. Left, we've, yeah, thank you. But we've done non-dilutive funding so far of 85000 and we've built very, very leanly. And um, yeah, so that's where we are at in our journey. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, no, thank you for sharing that because I think it's important for people to realize if there are women listening who are entrepreneurs themselves, that it's not always an easy process and you've got to be pretty determined, but it's worth it uh, to keep going. And I have no doubt at all that you're going to, this is going to be an amazing product. And wow, your advisory board is incredible. Uh, Particularly when you've got people like Dr. Fiona Wood on there, I'm I'm very impressed. So- Thank you. Thank you. Talk to me a little bit, Santosh, when you are a woman who's as passionate as you are, obviously about creating Smart Heal and working as well. Uh, how do you do the juggle? How do you make sure that you're not burning out? What are you doing to give yourself time off? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? <laughs> yes, it is. Because yeah, when you, you love juggle. it so much, yeah, you, get, you, you just do it all the time. Oh, all the time, exactly. Yeah, they'll they'll sum it all. Um, but now, look, when you're working, when it's job, you balance right. When you're doing something like this, and I don't like calling it startup because it's a business, right? And you yeah. build it like a business. But you, this is a business out of nothing, and that's the beauty of it. But that's the challenge of it, right? Yes, and you totally. have to make something out of nothing. And um, so it is, look, I love it so much. And I think uh, as James Clear said in his book, Atomic Habits, which I love, and, you know, when there's challenges, you don't rise to the challenges, you fall to the, you know, level of your systems. And that's so true. I think the systems that are put in place, you know, since we've you started to become more active in the startup space and with Smart Hill, it's amazing how my home is more organized. <laughs> my key activities are more organized. Everything is more organized. So really, it's just finding that time. So I guess to give you a quick snapshot, what a day would look like is I usually get up 5.30, I do a quick journal, meditation, and that gives me very clarity. And then I get on work Uh, from 7.30 to 8, um, you know, 9 o'clock, I'll do the drop off and then I'll get back into work. So one thing I do is I try not to take meetings and that's something I've learned recently in the morning. So then that allows me to focus. And after lunch is when I prefer to go and have meetings and, uh, you know, and then it's drop pickup time. And after pickup, I try to, you know, do the usual stuff, which is dinner, the little things that do spark joy. And then I try to, so I have a son and I've got two dogs. And so I try to make sure that every day we're doing something together myself with my son. So he does, you know, for example, basketball, swimming, and so when he's doing his basketball, I'll do something like read a book or do my personal stuff and fun stuff. But if yeah. it's swimming, we jump in the pools together. And uh, yeah, so really putting some systems in place. Um, but yeah, I, I love Smart Heal and it does demand a lot of the things. And when you are running it, if you don't work, it doesn't work. So 
um, yeah, there's no, crazy that's, hours you have. That's to very out. true, but I have to say, thank goodness for kids, really, yeah. because they do force you to take that time out, <laughs> and they also really make mm. you realise how you need to live in the moment. I think oh. you know when a little child is Absolutely. saying to you, "But mum, you know, I don't care." I, I remember yeah. my, my, I've got three boys, and I remember when they were little, and mm. I said to them, "Look, I have to go to work because otherwise we're not going to be able to have groceries." Yeah. And they said, "We don't want groceries. Yeah. We just want you." <laughs> and I remember oh. thinking. Oh, it's exactly. such a that's what children are like, isn't it? They they don't care about your work, they yeah. don't care anything. They just want no. a bit of time. And yeah. it's a it's a good discipline as an entrepreneur, I think, when you have kids to to be able to have somebody who's calling on Absolutely. your time like that to make you stop. Okay. Yeah. And they give you so much back too. Like they if do. you if you, you know, start yeah, like if you if you just live in the present and that's another thing, like living in the moment, it's so important as an entrepreneur because otherwise you'll start living in your head and, you know, don't get anywhere. But, yeah, even looking at him just pluck the string of a guitar <laughs> teaching you, <laughs> trying to teach you a new new tone, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah it is. It's beautiful. Oh, Santosh, you're mm. so fabulous. <laughs> um, I've got one more funny question for you that's not really related to anything yes. other than I love asking it. Is <laughs> there a question? Quirky fact about you that most people don't know that you'd be up for sharing. And it doesn't matter what it is. Yeah. Sure. Look, my face comics are very serious, that I'm a very serious person, but I just laugh at anything. I'm a very easy person <laughs> to laugh at. And one quirky fact would be, I think I love uh, dancing. So if there's a music and it, my song, it's very, very difficult for me to stay still. I love dancing <laughs> and I love my car karaoke. It's almost like at traffic lights, I have to put the volume down. Like, no, I'm not trying to gain attention here. I just love to sing. Yes. And there's nothing <laughs> so better than sing dancing and singing. And there's nothing better than singing in the car, that's for sure. And did have you ever watched those? Um, yeah. What's his name? James Corbin. Is it James? The the um, carpool karaoke. Oh, Santosh, it doesn't. No, I haven't. Oh, my God, Santosh, you have to go and do this. So go onto YouTube and look up carpool yeah. karaoke. And there is an English um, guy who's been hosting a show, James Corden, who's been hosting a show in America, oh, yeah, and he invites all the famous mm. musicians to come and do a car journey with him, mm. and they both sing along to the songs in the car. You'll love it. So he kind of oh, interviews Adele okay. yeah, and, and just anyone, oh. you know, everyone from Adele to Harry Styles to, um, I don't know, big Ooh. bands and small bands, and but but you can go and um, sing along with them and they all sing along in the car together. It's great. <laughs> oh, amazing. Yeah, I've heard of James Corden and I've heard of Carpool Karaoke, but I have not heard of that show. I'll definitely check so it out. So Carpool yes. Karaoke. Yeah, nowadays about- I'm finding it very hard. Yeah, they're ten, they're about ten minutes long, and there's probably thirty of them now. So you you will have lots of fun listening to those. Well, listen, thank you so much, Santosh, for this wonderful interview. If anybody would like to either contact you or find out more about Smart Heal, have you got a website? And what's the best way for them to do that? Definitely. Our website is www.smartheal.org and we are on all the social media, the key social media, LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. It's Smart Heal Official. Uh, it's all same across all social media and myself Fantastic. is Santosh or Smart Heal. Fantastic. 
Well, I cannot wait to see how you manage to get uh, Smart Heal into all the hospitals and into healthcare everywhere, but I have no doubt that you will. So thank you very much for sharing your story today. Wow. (laughs) Thank you for having me on board and yay to that in all the hospitals and all the aged kids. Yes, Yes. can't wait to be there. It'll happen. (laughs) I have no doubt. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'stheboss.com.au.